from the different timelines. Yeah, let's do that. And then I uh, want to get into a little bit of manifestation stuff with you because I think it would be good for people to hear someone else's uh, experiences with that. So yeah. let's do that. Okay. So just professionally, what I've done is I was a tour guide in Alaska. And then I came back and I went to school. And when I was in college, I was like, I want to be a social worker for human trafficking. (laughs) 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 I have no, like that was my calling. Um, And then I was like in my last year. I was laughing at the pivot from Wales to something (laughs) so dark. By the way, I'm not laughing. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I just have always had this innate feeling that my happiness is going to come from service because I wouldn't I saw a lot of dark shit growing up and I feel like the only one of the only reason one of the reasons I survived was because of of other people's service towards me but I feel like that can get lost into some real of you know savior savior mentality uh if you heard a hard edit there it's because we started to talk about the 60s stuff that i keep talking about and then cutting out of the podcast and i'm really sorry about that um i swear we're going to talk about it soon but i think it's maybe not supposed to be out on the airwaves until we're ready to move and now that i've been thinking about how the parasites uh can't know you're coming that could be it so um totally i feel like a lot of what i've done has been an incognito yes and sort of incognito like from my own perspective even I feel like my higher self my 60s self my 12d self whatever that is that's coming in and kind of using the remote control has been like guiding me along but now that I'm 30 I'm seeing these synchronicities so I was in school for social work gonna um, major in um, human trafficking and then in my last year, I met my twin flame. Ooh. <laughs> I should just get that as a sound bite for twin flames. <sighs> and I was just like loving going to school for social work. And I had all these ideas about what I was going to do for the world afterwards. And then I met my twin flame and I was like, I'll just take care of you instead. <laughs> I can help your whole life school who needs it. Um, so then him and I started doing art and political stuff together and I got really into yoga and then all of a sudden I wanted to be a yoga teacher. I was like, I'm leaving social work. I'm just going to be a yoga teacher. And then yoga teacher training is really expensive and it's very elite. Yeah. It's very elite. Well, you know, my take on yoga is that, uh, it's so filled with fake awakes. I can't take it. So if you... Do, if there are pictures of you doing yoga on Instagram, you are by default a piece of shit and you have to, by the way, nobody fights me on this. Of all my takes, I shit on Aries and people are like, hey, that hurt my feelings when I say this about yoga. And they're like, yeah, even the people that do yoga, they're like, no, I'm surrounded Just by. Just smile and buy Lululemon. Yeah. Everything fuck. will be okay. And I come in and I'm and pro like, yoga. Just. Yeah. Not- I love yoga. It's really helped open up vessels in me and when I have a clear channel I manifest more so when I found it I was like holy shit this is my I love it I'm gonna be the best yoga teacher in the world (laughs) and then I was like oh it's three thousand dollars for a three-week course to be a yoga teacher Jesus Christ and 
my wonderful ex-boyfriend's mom who doesn't have money on her own was just like I'm buying it for you I think you need it so I did that and I was I was really on that path and then my twin flame and I had a tumultuous relationship shocking what (laughs) and he randomly he was supposed to like pay rent while I was going through the training and then you know he woke up one morning and went to San Francisco with out telling me right after he broke my car. And so I was like in this yoga teacher training where you had to sign a thing that you couldn't work. And then so I was going to lose my apartment where I was at. But I was like so dedicated to being the best yoga teacher in the world that I just like stuck it through. I was like, I needed, I was like, fine, I'm done with this apartment. You don't want me? You're going to kick me out? Great. I need $800. I'm going to find a new room on my own. And then I didn't have a job then, but I was just walking in Capitol Hill in Denver. And there was this new restaurant that didn't have a sign. And this guy popped out and he's like, do you want to work here tonight? What? (laughs) And and he was so fucking weird. I don't know his name. I still don't think the restaurant ever got a sign. I'm wondering if it even existed at this point or if it was just a weird timeline I jumped on. But he pulled me in and was like, yeah, start working tonight, but it's a soft opening. So I'm not going to have you like, I'm like, I don't have my social security card and all my license. Like he didn't have me fill out an application. He's like, have you had serving experience? And I was like, sure. Yeah. So I came, I worked a weekend and I made $800 cash. (laughs) I went to the yoga studio and I was telling like the receptionist there, like, do you know anyone who's like renting a room in Denver? Like, I just need a place. I have some cash. And she was like, oh, the witch house. And I was like, there's a witch house? <laughs> of course there's a witch house. <laughs> and so I, she's like, oh, I want you to meet my friend. She's in the witch house. Go to, go to her place on Tuesday. I went in. It was a mansion. It was literally an old Victoria mansion in Denver. And it was the start of winter. And the people who owned it wanted to completely remodel it and then put it up for sale. But they didn't want to do that during the snowy months. So they were letting us live there for basically no rent in this mansion. I had like my own level in this beautiful house. And I come from squalor. So I was like, holy fucking shit. So I finished my yoga teacher training. And shockingly, I didn't become a yoga teacher. (laughs) I (laughs) I started nannying afterwards. And one of the, I moved in the house and it was three girls and they all called themselves witches. And one of the witches was um, starting a nonprofit in Africa. (laughs) (laughs) White saviors. (laughs) And I was Man, what a cross section of. Yeah. <laughs> some of our archetypes <laughs> jesus christ and so i'm like nannying and i'm nannying for this surgeon and she's a female surgeon she just became a surgeon and had her baby at the same time so she wasn't really able to be home a lot for her baby so i um part of my codependency is i like to just 100 percent give myself to whatever job or employer i'm working for i'm resonating with a lot of this go ahead <laughs> and so i'm like doing a lot for them and they're awesome people and they totally recognize it and they were she was she was having a residency in denver and then she was going to be a surgeon somewhere else so i was only taking care of their baby for six months but they were like you really helped raise our baby this time like we totally entrusted you 
Um, and I had just casually, casually mentioned to them that my roommate was going to Africa to start a nonprofit. And they're like, we want to buy you a ticket to Africa. <laughs> wow. And I didn't even know how I felt. Like, I didn't know my roommate that well. I didn't really know what her nonprofit was all about. Um, I definitely didn't resonate with being a part of her nonprofit. And then I was like, is it okay to go to Africa for fun? Like, do people do that? Because I just wanted to go for fun. And then the family I was working for, they were like, they just gifted me it. And as I was driving away, I was bawling. And I was like, I got a ticket to Africa. I've never been out of the country. My first time going out of the country is going to be Africa, Ghana, West Africa. And they called me as I was driving away. And they were like, you know, West Africa might be a lot for you. So we're going to also like get you a plane ticket to South Africa for fun after you spend three months in West Africa. I wow. Had, I had no money. You know, I just like scrambled to get money to even rent this room. And now I'm going to Africa with my brand new roommate. Whew. Turns out her nonprofit was not great. <laughs> <laughs> really? But upside of the story, the people in Ghana are amazing. And they love when people come to America to have fun. They are the freshest. They love when people come from America to have fun? To okay. have fun. They're, they're very used to people coming from, especially white women coming from America to quote unquote help them or save them. And I really had zero intention of doing that. I really liked their star beers. <laughs> <laughs> and Ghanaians love to dance. So they love fashion. They love to dance. They're very friendly. They're very loud. I resonated with that very well. So um, I partied with them for like, I love it for like two months and we went and picked out fabric and we like sewed clothes and like they taught me, like I ate their food and I learned, I really tried to learn their language and I looked ridiculous and they fucking loved that. Like <laughs> they have a very sarcastic sense of humor, very playful, like, but I didn't stay in Accra, Ghana. I had to get to Accra and then take a seven-hour cho-cho, which is their bus. You can kind of call it a bus. People are on there. Like, literally, I got on and, like, I was squished next to five people. And one guy was holding a goat next to me. Oh. And they all, and some of some people in this village where I stayed seven hours away from the capital um, have never seen a white person before. And the kids would see me and they would start screaming and they were like, it's a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) And they've definitely not seen like a pale white person with red hair. Right. So their word for white person is Bruni. But because I'm also red, they'd be like, Bruni Coco, Bruni Coco. And they would like, people would try to grab me on the bus and stuff just because they were excited and wanted to party. Really. Oh, I love this. Yeah. So it was really, it was really Did you hang with the nonprofit person for very long she or? was really busy doing her nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> like I barely saw her <laughs> and I like told her I like didn't know how to say this the right way and I had guilt about it because I was like I'm I don't know how to help you like I'm mm-hmm. and I felt guilty because I was like I was getting drunk I was going to live bands <laughs> like and I would sit with the women a lot and talk about fashion and talk about cooking and in at in the moment I'm like God you're superficial Lacey because I wasn't doing deep 
beautiful work. And then I realized I'm like, oh, I like, I just feel so blessed because I got a glimpse into their world. And now there's still like, it's hard because long story short, Americans have stolen their resources. So there's this idea that whatever, Americans have stolen from Africa as a continent and Ghana specifically. And so that's, that's always a factor, but they're such extremely positive people who continuously believe in praying out loud and speaking truth into existence. But they spoke another language than me, but they called me Ama because I was Saturday born. And it was really beautiful because I would sit with this group at night and at night they all eat and then they do their prayers. And when they do their prayers, they got in a circle and stood outside and would just like call their prayers up to the sky. And once in a while I could hear Ama, 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 and they would like be praying for me. Oh, Saturday born. They pay attention to the day of the week that you're born. Yeah. It means a lot. That's very interesting. I was at the Fonte people. It means a lot. That's Fonte. Okay. I just had a conversation with someone who was like, categorizing energies by the day that you were born yeah you get a whole separate name for it like wow yeah the men have there's female names for it and then there's male names i love this gender is also a really fun interesting thing in ghana yeah like where guys wear dresses and pink and like a lot of people bring like american clothes from from america to ghana part of the weight savior stuff so you'll see a lot of Ghanaians like dressed in our clothes sometimes and guys will be wearing like flowery ruffle shirts and like things like that and I've talked to them and I'm like are you wearing girls clothes and they're like what is girls clothes mean oh I love that yeah. thank you and oh you know what another thing I really love about Ghana is is that everyone holds hands that was weird for me because I'm not touchy but like two men will be walking down the street holding hands <sighs> And they do that, and it's not sexual to them. They do that because, like, especially if they're making, like, a business deal, it's, like, how you interconnect. It's, like, we need, it's something serious, and we need to talk. Like, you'll even, like, I went to the bank in Accra, and you see, like, two men in suits doing a bank deal, but holding hands with each other. Well, that brings us back to the energy of the physical body. Totally. So they're probably just tuned into that yeah. Truths, because it's really easy to be deceptive in our society because we are so like physically closed off from right. each other, right? That's yeah. really interesting. So you stayed there for three months. Yeah, roughly. I okay. Don't know, time's weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> and when my visa was up, and then I went to South Africa, and in my head I'm like, "Ooh, South Africa is going to be the cool shit." I'm staying in Cape Town. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Um, I went to Cape Town by myself. <laughs> Is that not a good idea? Uh, Cape Town's a very dangerous place. Okay. Um, there's just a lot of violence, and and I blame white people for that. You can edit, <laughs> you can edit that out if you want. Um, there's there. I just got robbed in Cape Town, like at knife point. But oh my god! But that's my privilege again. Here I am, do do do, walking around, and I thought it was okay to walk around alone in the daylight. If you are an American girl in South Africa, you have money. You have money. And therefore, you kind of should be robbed. You know, not should, but that's an occurrence that could happen. 
And I didn't know what to do one day. So like you can just go on the island of Nelson Mandela's jail cell. And so like I went to Nelson Mandela's jail cell and like I literally stood in his jail cell and they talked about like the art he created there and the book he wrote there. And I felt so lucky that I got to be there on the day that a political prisoner was there who had shared time with him. And he was just talking about like political activism with Nelson Mandela in South Africa. And with that for me came a lot of guilt because I'm like, oh my God, the, the guides are putting me here and I'm a white girl, so I should be doing something great with this. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with all this information. Like, I don't know what to do with this experience. Should I write a book? Should I tell people? Should I? And I did nothing. I haven't done anything. Like, I just took it in and I don't know what else to do. But from there, I came back to the States and I nannied again for a few months. And then I applied. I was on Indeed and applied to a job that said oh, um, marketing because I have some marketing there was some other jobs in between these, like yeah. some marketing <laughs> jobs. Squeeze those in. Got yeah, it, got it. I did like, I've done a lot of digital marketing in my day here and there. I've taught myself on the internet, love digital marketing. So I applied for a job that said digital marketing for historical Colorado landmark. <laughs> and they called me and they asked if I could meet them at this apothecary. And I was like, a historical apothecary? Do they know I'm a witch? This is great. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I got there and it was the owner of the world famous Shotgun Willie's Strip Club. And, uh, fantastic. And she was a 70 year old woman who looks not 70 at all she's way fitter than I am and she they asked me a few questions and I did I didn't really realize I was interviewing for a strip club at that point and then so they were asking me about marketing digital marketing trends blah 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 and then they said how do you feel about strippers and I was like oh it is 2018 and now is the time of the stripper. It's the Cardi B movement. And they were like, do you want to have an office in the strip club? Do you, do you want to do marketing for us? You know, they're like, it will just be part time. Um, you'll just help take some photographs of the girls. You can do a few like copywriting things for us. Maybe a little PR here and there. No strings attached. A year and a half later, I'm now a manager of the strip club, <laughs> working on the floor, training other managers, hiring entertainers, and it's insanity. This we had a really cool conversation about. What uh, Do you know the percentage of women-owned uh, strip clubs? Um, there's very few. Very few. At one point, she was the only women-owned strip club in the world. I just heard about there was one in Australia. Um very, very few to none. It's been open since the 80s. It's been open about 40 years, and she's owned it the whole time. She, God, I love it. She sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, she was pregnant at the time. She was a flight attendant with a baby and pregnant. And I think she does some time hopping of her own. And I, I don't know how much I'm supposed to say of this, but she's a pretty open person. Um, as a flight attendant, she might have met um, a, a coke smuggler. <laughs> <laughs> who got her pregnant and um then uh, she was pregnant with him and then he 
went to prison and she opened up the strip club. God, that's fucking she, so rad. She had never, she had never worked in that industry. Didn't have a lot of, you know, she was a pretty innocent flight attendant who wanted to go to nursing school. And she really values the entertainers work they do. There was once a manager who said the entertainers are lazy. Like they don't have to actually work. And she like made him take off his clothes and throw them out. <laughs> <laughs> so I hear, so I hear I wasn't there. So legend, yeah, legend, legend has it. Yeah. We talked a little bit in the, in the reading about the energy of strip clubs. I also didn't, I thought we had done away with stripper. I'm, uh, and just, I did a reading for someone the other day who was like, I'm a stripper. And I'm like, Oh, I thought we switched to dancers. But then you pointed out that it, Cardi B brought it back. It's the year of the stripper. Yeah. I love it. But something that came up in the conversation with you and I, and then also came up in the conversation with her was, uh, a lot of the masculine energy is being healed like the fe- like a lot of our feminine energy has been healed for the last couple of years and uh and now uh I feel like as a collective you see a lot of evidence of like all of the damage done to the masculine and uh uh you know toxic masculinity and I've talked about this on other podcasts gets framed as something that only hurts women, but it's, it's so damaging and women and men, I'm just energy, masculine and feminine energy. But this comes up in readings right now for men, how much they were pushed into that corner as children, you know, how intense that like they're, they were shamed for the showing the slightest feminine energy, you know, like, uh, when I was a kid, man, boys, if a boy played with a doll, his dad had a fucking panic attack. You know what I mean? It was a thing that everyone talked about. Artistic men, sensitive men, men in touch with their emotions as little boys, like that was fragmented out of them. And then you get this toxic masculinity comes from these, like we're all masculine and feminine energy and like away from sexuality, just in, like our personalities are so nuanced and we're all these different pieces that were like cut out and then it gets tied into their sexuality. And I think about the way, then it meets like that animal, like sexual urge. And I wonder how much of the way that men are, have been when they've been gross, you know, I'm not talking like assault, but like just that gross magnetic thing is just men wanting to touch their own feminine energy. You know what I mean? Wanting a mirror to really experience their full self. And, uh, I used to think the energy of men at, I I thought it was badass. I've always thought sex work was, I'm like brilliant, fucking brilliant. Yeah. Get it. Take it from them. You know what I mean? Like this is what they treat us. Like that's all we're for. Take their fucking money, you know? Um, but I didn't have any respect for the men in those clubs and I didn't, you know, I, uh, I definitely didn't see it for what I see it for now, which is just, uh, this world is also very much built to make intimacy extremely difficult for men because they, um, they weren't raised to be sensitive or, uh, intimate and they were shamed for feelings like as much as you know we were raised in trauma so you probably weren't really given an environment to cry either but like a hundred times worse for for men and uh 
I think I said something flippant in the conversation about the masculines in the, in the club. And you said something that I was like, God damn it, you're right. And I've been thinking about, cause I, you know, I'm from Portland, so I've spent a lot of time in strip clubs and I've been thinking a lot. I've been looking back at their energy as I used to look at it as so gross and like vampire. And now I look at it as like, Oh, you just want to feel that. Yeah. So I'm sure there, there are clubs where there's a lot of vampire energy and I myself am not a sex worker or a stripper. So I can't fully put myself in their shoes, even though I'm on the floor with them. Right. Um, so I, and our club is unique. Our club is owned by woman, a woman, but our club is also highly managed by women. All the top bosses, the top heads of the club are women and previous entertainers. So, and they've been there for 20, 30 years. So it's, I love that. So the men we attract are probably different than a random club in New York, but I don't know. So I can't speak on that. I can only speak on this club and two things I thought coming to the strip club is I hate men. You know, I came in with this idea of like, fuck men, Mm -hmm. like we're going to take their money um, and then I came in with the idea of like, oh no, I'm fat and ugly. And like, how am I going to be, ex- I have to work on the floor. Like the men are going to see me too. And like, I have to be with, like, aren't the strippers going to be like grossed out by me? Cause like, they have to be so beautiful. And like, here I am, I barely shaved my legs. And those two things were the complete opposite. Number one, like the men that I've encountered have been amazing. And I don't want to, I have to be careful about generalizations because it might not be that experience for every entertainer who works there all the time because darkness still slips through the cracks. Yeah. But what I found is we're a non-hustle club. And I think we're the only non-hustle club I've heard of. Can you explain what that means? A hus- When you go to a strip clubs, oftentimes the, sh- the entertainers are hustlers. So they're, they're, actively trying to get your money they're going to come up and be like do you want to get a lap dance do you want to get a private room to keep our girls safe we don't even really have private rooms we have a champagne room um but it's pretty open to the public and we have a lot of cameras in there we're we're primarily based on entertainment we're just a topless club so they have to wear two songs now don't get me wrong i feel like sometimes i make it sound like the most wholesome thing in the world it still gets a little freaky we're open until 4 a.m. And we serve till 4 a.m. So people can get really drunk. Um, but being a non-hustle club, you as a man are not expected to go in and pay girls. You actually don't have to at all. And our girls are taught to not just come up and ask for money. Our girls are taught about connection first. We literally have people who come from Disney World and train our managers who create a culture of Disney in the club. And what is Disney? What? Disney is smiling, connecting, having meaningful conversations. A lot of girls will come up to me and be like, Lacey, I want to be a stripper at this club, but I don't have very good pole skills. I'm not a good pole dancer. And one of the worst things in our club, uh, I don't want to say that because there are some amazing pole dancers who are like a circus LA, like, like, complete amazing athletes and they make a ton of money from that and they're amazing but there's this other kind of entertainer who if if you're looking at a pole if you're so worried about your pole tricks you're not looking at the man in front of you 
you're not building that connection. And rather than hustling, it's like an energetic exchange. So what I try to do is like remind people of like this thought of abundance and this thought of not to rid the fear of lack and really build that connection. And I've had so many guys, like being on the floor, so many guys will just sit and talk to me for a long time. And I'm like, wow, you're what America is calling toxic masculinity right now, but you're coming here for your heart. Like you're coming here for connection. There's still assholes. We have to kick guys out of the club. You know, we, we do our best to protect girls, but I think it's at the end of the day, it's really about that connection and masculinity is an important energy. And I think we have to be very aware not to ostracize it because of toxic masculinity. I think all beings hold a certain amount of masculinity and males who might be toxic, toxic masculine, telling them not to be toxic. (laughs) Masculine isn't going to do anything. So I feel like a strip club provides a a semi-safe space for them. Like the owner always says she wants men to feel like men there. Go to the bar, fart, smoke. You can smoke cigars there. You can smoke cigarettes if you want to. Like she wants them to stare at tits. She wants their sexual energy to be out in the open. And as being a survivor of sexual abuse myself, I would so much rather be around a man who says, I am horny because of this than a man who is your the nice man at church or the neighbor, you know? And I think when we create safe spaces like that for men, I think it's healing. I love this. Uh, I've, I did a, I don't even know if he ever put it out and now I've, I've talked about it on so many other podcasts that I've ruined it for him, but I had this fucking great, I love this this evolution of us finding out that all of the things that we don't, which is cliche, like what you don't like in other people's, what you don't like in yourself, whatever, but to actually watch that unfold and realize that, and I feel like I'm turning into the so soft, <laughs> but um, had this conversation about toxic masculinity on a podcast with a couple men, and I was talking about being pushed into sex as a teenager. And then they explained that like, they didn't want to have sex. Like they weren't ready to have sex when we were like hooking up in closets in seventh grade, but all their friends were like, if you don't fuck her, then there's something wrong with you, dude. And then we're like, what if those kids never, like, what if it was all just shit passed down from the culture? Nobody is ever doing what they want to do. We're all just doing what everyone else thinks we should do. And I got hurt in that closet, but he also got hurt in that closet. And the kids who told us to get in the closet got hurt. Because they're trying to impress their older brother and like nobody know nobody's doing what they want to do. And here we are 20 years later, I just got goosebumps and everybody's living a life that they don't want to live because they're afraid of being like, this is who I actually am. And what we're watching unfold right now is uh, a bunch of people waking up like not just to aliens and timelines, but like waking up to like, this is, this is who I am. 
and this makes me cry and this makes me sad. And I'm here at this strip club because this is the only way that's socially acceptable for me to express the fact that like, I want someone to connect to for a minute, but like, I can't go out and do that because my, my bros won't, uh, I'm afraid of being perceived as something because when I was a kid, if I had feelings, I was told that those weren't valid and we're all in the exact same boat. We're all just something that we aren't because when we were kids, we were told this is what reality it is and this is who you are and you need to stay on this square and this, this evolution of realizing that the people that hurt me were hurt, you yes. know? Yes. And I used to use that kind of logic to not feel my feelings. You know, I used to use that kind of logic to like, rationalize myself out of trauma but in the last couple of years I really unpacked the trauma and it's like okay this person hurt me it's kind of irrelevant why they did it right now I just need to deal with this pain but then like after I healed that pain I'm like losing the ability which sucks because I used to be a pretty good shit talker but I'm really losing the like I feel like everywhere I go uh somebody sat down next to me on a plane yesterday and she was very rude and uh she sat in the center seat she was chip on her shoulder, rude. And uh, she sat down and she was overweight and was taking up, you know, needed to take up the armrests or whatever. And she was very not nice. And, um, but I could just feel the energy. I could feel, I'm like, oh, you've, uh, you're expecting me to be an asshole about this you know you've had to sit in the middle seat you know because southwest is this fucking when you check in you're fucked if you don't check in till the end and um it was a full flight and she had to sit in the middle and she just was like all her armor was up you know and she was ready to uh to defend herself against some rude person um, next to her. And so with that just came almost like, you know, she's on the offense and I, I could, I could hear it and I could feel it. And it was like in the past, I think I would have probably heard it and felt it and knew where it was coming from, but still only experienced it through how I feel, you know, well, it doesn't mean you have to be rude, but that moment I was just like almost cried. Cause I was just like, People are shitty. People are shitty. Yeah. And you are hurt and, uh, and you feel you cause people can't take five fucking minutes. And I think that's changing. I think it's really changing. I think you can really see the evidence of us connecting because she's me. Mm-hmm. She's me. You're me. Those toxically masculine men. That's me in there. Yeah. And all of those things in them that I feel hurt by, uh, you know, those are all just tiny pieces of me reflections of me and um I love I love this process like I almost cried on this plane and I'm like god I'm turning into such a soft dork you know I cry on the floor all the time girls will be on stage and I'm like yeah girl you got it go shake that ass and I'm like the soccer mom of strippers but yeah there'll be guys who come in and they'll buy a girl off the list and what that means is that that girl's no longer going to stage and he's paying for her personal company and you have an idea. And sometimes it does get a little dirty. I'm not going to lie, but a lot of times 
he buys her a meal and they sit and talk for an hour. Yeah. Like I was working the other night and a guy paid $2,000 to buy her off stage for about an hour for a conversation and a meal. Wow. And that, I wouldn't say that's like super unique. Um, uh, I just think masculinity, just like sacred rage is important. Masculinity is important. If I, as an identified woman, don't honor the masculine in myself and in men, then I am not honoring the feminine in myself. Right. You have to have both. You have to have rage and, and happiness. If you don't truly experience rage, you are never going to be happy. That is fake bullshit. And, and for them to truly see me, I have to honor their masculinity. If I want them to see my femininity and see me as whole, they have to be whole to me. And I have a lot of woo-woo friends. I'm part of like the herbalist community and the witch community and the midwifery and doula community, yoga community. And a lot of them have been really angry at me for working in a strip club. I thought you were a feminist. Um, is a one thing I get a lot. And then I get also, can I come heal the strippers? Lacey, will you give them my card? <laughs> More people to save. God, we're the worst. And and I was I was always like a little baffled by that. And then I remember my first night really being around the entertainers. One girl had a crystal shoved up her vagina, and the other one was talking about like her birth chart. And that's the conversations you hear all night because if you're drawn into this industry, you are a healer. You might not always be channeling it in the healthiest ways, or you might have to go through some darkness first, or you might um, be a destroyer, but you're, you, sex work is healing work. And I believe every man who steps into a club wants that healing, wants that love. And they might not have any idea and they might be on a ton of drugs or alcohol and not be able to manifest that correctly, but the rawness of it is that seeking connection. I love that. This got this got so much more emotional than I thought it was going to be. I thought we're going to talk about timelines and magic, but uh, we're just here being very soft. Um, something that just popped in my head is, uh, you know, the last age was toxic, but it wasn't toxic because it was a masculine age. It was toxic because we were asleep. And sometimes we have ages. Uh, by ages, I mean like premise of the video game. You know, we're coming out of the age of Pisces. Uh, which Pisces is is tight, you know, because I'm Pisces now. Um, but it was a it was a it was a fear based reality. It was a, a reality where we were not aware that we are one, and so of course it was toxic. Like of course it was. We came here to experience that. It was a karmic reality, but it was a masculine age, so it was like front loaded masculine energy, and uh, I have been guilty of equating the feminine age with enlightenment, but those are just like, that's a coincidence. You know, it's a, we've had, I've been like taken back and shown certain things. Like I, I was shown the beginning of the mask, the uh, age of Pisces where we were like dispersing into different bodies and stuff, but I don't remember any ages before that. But, and I also don't think I was here for that, but that's another thing. I think I just took this job not too long ago, but I have been guilty of equating feminine energy with enlightenment. And I'm pretty fucking masculine. Like I'm pretty dominant masculine earth energy, but equating feminine energy with enlightenment and masculine energy with matrix, right? Just because that's the shift that we're currently taking. 
But uh, the age of Aquarius is really everyone back in that balance. That's why all the things with gender and everything are happening right now is because we're really uh, coming together and balancing out, like finding those pieces of ourselves. And um, uh, I just want to apologize for shitting on men. It is funny, but you know, I am also a comedian. I, we got to wrap up soon because Aaron's going to get here. We got to record other podcasts, but I wanted to get into, we talked a little bit about manifestation stuff after we did the reading a few weeks ago yeah we did the reading and I was telling you about I felt weird because I scheduled a reading with you but then I was like I just want to tell you all the stuff that's half of my readings yeah (laughs) and because I listen to soberish and I was it's given me language on what's been happening my whole life the parallels have been unreal to me I felt like I needed to bring you like certain documents to be like all of these things are true (laughs) because these parallels just don't sound real Um, but during the reading, you told me that I'm, you're like, you've been kind of picked up and put into all these different timelines and you get close to a few people in these extreme environments and then you're sucked into a different timeline. And I was like, yes, exactly. That is my life in a nutshell. And, but part of me going through that, I've felt like I am not in control of that. Like I am at the universe's mercy. Like applied to a historical landmark and it turned out to be a strip club like I didn't feel like I had a lot of options in that but subconsciously it totally makes sense but since you told me I'm in control of it I went in that you also told me I'm a healer that I'm jumping these timelines to heal and I have a really hard time with the word healer because I'm not healed and how can I be a healer and be helpful when I am coming with all of my wounds gushing on people. Interesting. So, um, and then the next day, the universe was like, no, you're a fucking healer. <laughs> <laughs> and you, well, you asked specifically, like, you're like, do you use healing in the strip club? And I'm like, no, no, no. And you're like, you don't use it with the girls? And I was like, absolutely not, because the girl, my energy reading is I touch someone's body And then I break through the veil. So like we go into their timelines and their whole truth comes out as an entertainer, as a sex worker, a big part of who you are is your character. And I, and to break their character would to be to break their protection. And I really honor their protection and also their healers themselves. And they're healing me all the time. I love that by the way. But you always, I've heard you say before, like, yeah, you can jump timelines and you can manifest things, but like asking to win the lottery is like stupid. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But you know, you just said I had control of the timeline. So let's play with some money stuff. Yeah, Money, cool. <laughs> lottery, just get an imagination. That's my yeah. only issue with it. Yeah. But I went to the club the next night and um, I decided like I had to get rid of my twin flame. Like now is the time. It's just like, I gotta freaking do it. I've one of my codependent things is I um, have been financially supporting him for 10 years. <laughs> even, even though I'm very broke <laughs> or was broke. Um, so he's been staying with me again for free. And I'm like, yo, if you're staying with me, you have to like, at least help me with this like one bill. Okay baby steps this one bill I need $350 and this was literally the day after I talked to you 
he gives me the $350. It's like actually in my account and I budget for that. And it feels very important to me. It's like a sign that he's not just using me. Right. And an hour later, (laughs) (laughs) I decide this relationship is far too toxic and I cannot go on. And the first thing he says is like, yeah, I'll leave your life, but you need to give me that $350 back. And I really didn't want to give it back to him. Oh, really? You didn't? (laughs) No. But I would have probably paid him $10,000 to get out of my life in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was part of unhooking. So long story short, I gave him the $350 back. And then I was obsessing about $350. Not that I really need $300. Like, that's not really going to make or break me at this point. But I got crazy obsessive about it. And I work in the sex work industry. I've never had any experience with it. And I'm too awkward and I'd be reading their energy the whole time and they'd start, usually if I have random hookups, the guys just start crying because I'm reading their energy. (laughs) No matter how much toxic masculinity they walked into, walked in with. Um, So it's like, it's too much. I can't, I really wish I could sleep around. I really want to be more slutty. Uh, It's my goal for 2020. But okay, so I get on Tinder he, my twin flame walks out the door and I get on Tinder. <laughs> well, yeah, that's good. And um, I'm too scared to actually meet anyone from Tinder. I play this big, I'm like this manager at this big strip club and I talk to strangers all the time when I'm a performer and I talk to strangers. I cannot meet a man one-on-one, especially if he's only seen my pictures because I look way hotter in my pictures. I hate that. I'm also photogenic and I'm like, listen, temper your expectations. I'm wicked photogenic. But I also, I'm, di- I'm not going to put a picture of me on Tinder that someone just randomly took of me. <laughs> like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to look really good for that and then tell them that it's going to be really disappointing. But then I just never meet them. Okay. So this guy started talking to me on Tinder and he was like, Hey, can I add you on Instagram? And I was like, okay, sure. So I like give him my Instagram handle and there's a picture of my cleavage on Instagram with some like dollar bills in it and some stupid paragraph, how I want to manifest abundance and health this year, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Hey, I saw your post on Instagram and the one of your cleavage and I just would it be cool if I like gave you some money like cash apped you and I was like why <laughs> I just said why because <laughs> whenever someone wants to do something nice to me I have like a huge habit of talking them out of it for yeah. like 20 minutes yep. first. and I was like um that's weird sure I didn't believe he would do it so I gave him my cash app handle and he sent me $15 and he was like, get yourself lunch. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I just expected the dick pics to come rolling yeah. in or him to ask for nudes. And then I went and worked and I had my phone in my back pocket on silent. I got off of work and he sent me $15 10 times after that. And then he was like, can I get your number? I And I was like, sure. <laughs> so I like gave him my number and he has no information of me. He only wants to talk about how he's sending me money. Like, I just gave you another $15. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> and then he starts Apple paying it to me and was like, I have a, con-, he said, I have a confession. And I was like, oh, he's going to ask me to sleep with him. And I can't, there's no way I can do that. Even though I support sex work, I can't personally do it. And he was like, um, I just want you to know something really weird about me is I get boners by just sending money to women. I was going to ask if it's one of those. Yeah, that's yeah. a whole kink. Oh, 
ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. A fantastic, beautiful. Thank thing. you, Jessa Reed's reading that told me I could jump timelines. And I was like, he's like, do you have a problem with it? And I was like, no. no. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'll be fine, I guess. If it's your thing, I'll but, support it. And then I was, so I Googled it and I was doing research around this kink. And then I, a lot of guys, like aggressive girls in the kink who are like, paint pay me now daddy <laughs> so, so I was really trying to like own that character and I was like give me more I want it now and he's like um we're gonna have to figure out our dynamic because I like more of a passive person and I was like okay and he just he was like I want this exchange to go on after I leave Denver he's like in the tech industry in the bay and I was like okay long so he didn't he kept Apple paying me. I would say, thank you, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and he would be like, I'm getting so hard. Are you wet? I'm like, yeah, that was the end <laughs> of the conversation. <laughs> and he, it totaled to $350 and I haven't heard from him since. Holy fuck. That was the day after I talked to you. Also, when I was working that night is when I started having eye issues and I wanted to cry. Being on the floor of a smoky strip club and being blind is not fun for me especially as a person whose survival is always an interplay like I'm always thinking about my survival my I'm hyper aware at the club I made my I made the club sound like it's Disney World but there's been shootings there there like I always have to be aware like it's strip clubs are still gangster shit so when I can't see that's frightening to me and I went in the back and I almost started crying because I couldn't see um, I shouted out loud to a girl, like, I'm getting LASIK. I'm getting LASIK. I have a hard time buying things for myself like that. I have a hard time even letting someone else have control over my eyes because what if I'm blind afterwards? Like, it's my protection thing. And I just told her, like, very factual, I'm getting LASIK. And then I went pee. And as I was peeing, I was like, your voice, Jessa's voice came, your voice came into my head where you're like, you can jump timelines, like, literally whenever you want. And I'm like, okay. So I just said out loud to myself, I'm jumping this timeline where I can see. My eyes are fine. And I peed and I went back on the floor and I did not think about it again. And a man came up to me in his 40s or 50s, very jolly guy, was telling me what a great person I am because he saw me dressed as a cookie once at the strip club. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, he just told me how nice I am. So now I have to sit and talk to him. And as I was sitting and talking to him, he told me he was only in Denver for a very short time. Love manifesting those kind of guys. (laughs) Get in, give me shit, get out. And he's like, I'm, and I was like, oh yeah, what are you in Denver for? And he's like, I'm opening three LASIK companies. And I just started screaming. Like he was like giving me a weird look as I was screaming next to him. And I was like, I just told the girls I have to get LASIK and my eyes hurt and as I said my eyes hurt I was like oh shit my eyes aren't hurting anymore like I for four hours that night they were killing me and he told me he's gonna give me LASIK wholesale and gave me his personal cell phone number and told me how I can schedule an appointment it's it's in the works the day after our reading that's uh that's amazing uh we talked a little bit about manifesting the biggest uh, obstacle to manifestation. And I, I worry like sometimes people get frustrated. Uh, like I did the two cup method for all these big things, you know, it was three months before 
most of those things happen. And a lot of time you forget the thing that you manifest. It's going to go faster and faster and faster and faster. But the obstacle to, to seeing this manifestation faster is our own programming. It's our own belief. The further you get into realizing that like that man is you. So if you are playing a video game and you are projecting out from your painful eyes, the reality around you, uh, you can just send another you to come up and hand you the thing that you want. But that is a, uh, that's such a, an open handed free thing that doesn't come from, I need, you know, it's a different energy. No it's, it's an allowing it to come into you. And so when you set it and forget it, you know what I mean? That is the key right there is where you're like, I need this thing. I want this thing. And then, uh, you have that amnesia real quick. And then that thing is able to come in and it sounds crazy. And if the first thought that you have when someone tells a story like that is like, why doesn't that happen for me? Why don't I get that? I want that. Then there's, there's still that programming in you that believes that you live in a, in a limited universe that believes there's a difference. Your experience is available to everyone because you are everyone. We are literally one consciousness experiencing a million different consciousnesses. And we just like some of us are now like, I feel led to do things for people, just strangers or people that I know from the internet. It's like, go take care of this person's problem right now. And I'm not going to uh, get into that because it's, you know, um, but I hear that voice all the time. That's because that's me. And it's time to take care of me, you know, and this is like Starbucks, you know, paying it forward and stuff. There's a message there. And that is, I keep getting goosebumps in this podcast we are, we are everything. Everything you are experiencing is a reflection of yourself. And as you start to open up more to, as we all collectively start to open up more to just allowing these things to happen, what a cool fucking time to be alive though, because soon it will just be expected and it'll be nothing, you know, but just to be coming out of the dichotomy and becoming out of the lack and get to be a part of experiencing what feels like miracles right now and also to be able to provide what will feel like miracles for other pieces of ourselves is so fucking cool this is such a cool window in time guys feel so beautiful feel every <laughs> second of it man because soon it's gonna be we're gonna enter into this so many goosebumps enter into this era of peace and stuff. And this is a really fucking cool window. This shift is a really fucking cool window. The shift out of the trauma and the pain of the, the, the dichotomy and the karmic reality, that moment of relief. When you have a baby, the ecstasy that hits, it only hits me for like 15 minutes before the after cramping, but the ecstasy after all of that pain, we're, we're moving into that window right now. And then we're going to get to watch magic become a part of our daily life after living in this prison of the fear-based reality. And it's fucking, this is a really cool time. Take time to really soak in how cool this is. Cause I think these, these windows of transition when this is, because this will be nothing in three years, this will be, this will just be snap your finger and you manifest it. This is such a cool fucking time to be like, Oh my God. I, you know, like, 
and you've been doing, you've been doing this your whole life, but to watch it really become this point and click thing, you know, we'll be desensitized to it soon. So soak it up. Ooh, everything you just said is so beautiful. <laughs> like, rewind. I want to hear it again. I can't believe how fucking so, just the last few days. I'm just like, I can see it. I can see the glimpses of the, the world I knew was coming. Yeah. And it's so, I'm so excited. And when I see people that are sad and when I like the woman next to me and the, the air thing, the, uh, the airplane seat, I was just like, I was just like sending her love. And I'm like, dude, it's not going to be like this much longer. You know what I mean? It's not going to be like this. Uh, We're all going to wake up and everyone's going to remember that we are each other and nobody's going to be poor and nobody's going to be sick. And you know, we're not going to be on hamster wheels being drained by parasites. Like it's coming, it's coming. And I was like, making corny uh, Instagram stories about it. I got like (laughs) tears running down my face. I'm like, God damn. I like, yeah. And I like what you said about birth and I'm a birth worker. Um, so I've been, a, you know, I've attended a lot of births and the thing about birth is you do get that rush of euphoria, ecstasy, but it's also the closest time towards death. Too. Yeah. Death meets life. So I feel like, yes, everything's going to be magical and at a click at a finger, but it's going to come for a lot of destruction. And some people will see a lot more of the destruction than others. But I think it's like, oh, that destruction is part of the magic. Yeah. In or- People have always called me like a chaotic person. Like you have so much chaos. And I'm like, I'm not trying to. <laughs> like I don't mean to. And I think it's because like when you manifest, it's part of this stirring up energy like chaos is it's not one or the other right part of the manifesting is chaos and manifesting isn't a wanting energy and that's something that's just really clicked for me recently which like you said it's going to be so obvious it probably is obvious to a lot of people right now but when I want something I don't get it when I am it I get it exactly fuck what a good way to put it and like the other night when I was like LASIK I just, I was living in that reality. When you're in that reality, you're not wanting that reality. You're in that reality. Wanting is a just a completely different energy than being on that timeline. Yeah. There was something when you told me the story the first time you said, I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to get LASIK. And this is action is the missing ingredient of manifestation. Be willing to take whatever action because that just it just puts you on the timeline. So when I'm like, I want something, I don't just sit in and, and like, I'm like, I, what would the person who has a comedy special do? And then I'm like, researching what the prices are, contacting people who have the things, asking, you know, and then writing the joke. And I just fucking do it. And then next thing you know, people come out of the woodwork with, to give me things. Right. But I put myself on that timeline by being on that timeline and you put yourself on the timeline. The minute you're like tomorrow, I'm going to get LASIK, not in some fantasy land thing, but I'll do whatever it takes. And I assumed that if that guy didn't then pop in the next day, you were going to get, I'm going to say the yellow pages. What the fuck you would get on Google and start working towards LASIK. It's just action is the hack. Action is the hack of manifestation because it is the best way to play the character. If you want to be a famous actor, what would a famous actor do today working towards being an actor? Be that. Yeah. And I think part of it for me is a lot of man. I grew up near Boulder, Colorado, and that's a lot of like white privilege, hippie dippy 
vision boards. Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll all do that together. And that doesn't resonate with me. And I'm an analytical Virgo with a Aries moon. I think about everything and I have a temper and I have fear. And part of me manifesting is stating all of my fears about it. I want LASIK, but I could go blind. I want LASIK and I might be poor afterwards. I might LASIK and it might fuck with my credit. And it's just like I speak those fears out loud. And I know all the positive people in my life have always been like, don't do that. Don't do that. But the fears are there and it's either I'm going to internalize them. But when I speak the fear, I feel like it transforms. It Fuck. Fuck. Such a huge missed piece of manifestation is and like you know i read stuff about manifestation the aliens told me about manifestation the first thing i ever heard about manifesting reality uh the first thing i ever read was a, a paragraph that used to be my voicemail which is the reality that you know is none other than an audio visual demonstration of where your attention is the universe assumes your attention is on that which you desire and gladly provides you with more of the same had this dynamic been understood, you would never do anything as foolish as to declare a war on drugs, unless, of course, you wanted to create more of them. And this lined up with what the aliens told me about. Um, that's E.T. 101. It's a great book. Fucking weird book from way back. But uh, this lined up with the aliens that told me about like us creating our reality. But there's a difference between acknowledging failure, which to me is uh, action first, and then acknowledging failure is the best way to not fail. Um, if you, you do not acknowledge it, you are, I don't know what it is about it, but I will immediately acknowledge failure and then immediately have to argue with some toxically positive, <laughs> fake awake shit. That, actually, that's not fair. Uh, totally cool people that I love, but it is a fake awake phenomenon that is like, well, don't say that. And I'm... I. My best shows are shows where I say I'm about to go bomb. I do that before every single show. Every single show that I've ever bombed, I walked on like, I, I got this. I got this. There's some false confidence there. There's some uh, disrespect of the, the way that the system works or something when you don't acknowledge failure because it is part of it. Fail, you're not going to succeed at everything because you learned how to manifest reality. There is also like a lot of failure in manifesting the things that you want. Cause a lot of times you think you want this thing and it's like this way better things available, but you're going to, you're going to fall or you have to, you have to have the skill set that you're going to get from failure, whatever, but it's attachment when you're attached to it coming out exactly like this, you uh, are not going to get that. And so there's just something about acknowledging failure. It also neutralizes the fear because you've already processed the fear. And so if you're like, I want Lasix, but what if I go blind? And you are repressing that fear because you're afraid of acknowledging something that's not completely positive at all times, you're most likely going to manifest that because totally. it's running in your subconscious. You're still right. focused on it. And I feel like for me, I'm literally stuffing it in my body. Like if I'm not saying, if I... I'm a poet, so I like to say things out loud. When I'm, when I say it out loud, it's out of my body. Like, right. And when it's in, when that fear is in my body, I'm going to continuously mirror that fear. And my poor partners in my life, because <laughs> before I do anything or anything big happens that I want, I go to a place of like, it's not going to happen. I'm going to fuck it up. This person's not going to like me. What if I did this wrong? What if I say this wrong? What if I look wrong? And they'll always be like, no, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But then that's exhausting. 
and they have yeah. to do it for everything. And then I'll get people to be like, just do it. You go, girl. And I'm like, I'm not fucking saying I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I'm telling you every bad thing that might happen. So it's out of me. I love this. And look how fast you're, you're uh, attracting things to yourself. So I, uh, two big items, uh, acknowledging failure, which I, I've never seen. Maybe it's in reality transurfing, but it, it was something through trial and error with, with manifesting. I started like actual, like actively playing with manifesting reality in like 2008 during the crash. Cause I was accidentally doing it all the time, you know? So I started really messing with it. Kind of how I'm messing with timelines now in like 2008. And I would say I had like nailed manifestation like had, had knew exactly what I was doing and how to do it by like 15, but a big missing piece after several failures was like, Oh, things actually work better. Cause it was, cause I was a server and comedy and waiting tables, anything where you have like variables in tips or something like that, or like variables in bombing is a great place to learn manifestation because you have all these these unpredictable things and so uh my tips how my tips work really 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 i learned about expectation and acknowledging failure and attitude and focus and what it was and it's really not as positive as it's it's a different kind of positive it's 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 deal it's transmuting the fear in a different way yeah. But it is a process and some people are like, you know, they do the two cup method once and they're like, I didn't get what I wanted. This is bullshit. It doesn't work. And it's like, it's like driving a car. It's like anything else. It's you have to learn where the controls are, are inside of you. And I, sometimes I don't think we know what we really want. Sometimes Huge. I think we have like an idea of what we want. I want to be rich, but actually you might be benefiting from making minimum, minimum wage right now. Yeah. Not that I think you're benefiting from it. There's something in your experience and your higher self or someone you're going to meet because you're making that wage right now. Yeah. I'm always like, oh, I need to change my body or I need to have periods and, you know, I need to get rid of these assists. But like my fat is my protection. It still serves me for so much. You know, I'm not... I, I cannot go on these tender dates because I'm like, I'm too fat. I don't look like my pictures. It's like my protection. There's something, even though I want that, do I truly in my core want it? That's a huge thing is what, uh, what do we want? What am I learning? What am I, uh, transmuting? You know, weight was a huge, huge issue for me for a long time. And it's really interesting. Uh, cause you're like beautiful and, uh, I don't, like now being on the other side of it, I'm like, nobody, nobody would think that about you. You know what I mean? Nobody that you would be attracted to. And I also to work in the strip to. club industry. Yeah, no, I, so I, my yeah. reality is probably pretty skewed and PCOS makes you gain a ton of weight that isn't like quote unquote normal weight. So you just get inflammation in like weird areas. So yeah. you just feel super bloated. So you're like, even though you might not be what some people consider fat, like me internally, I'm like, I can't fit into many of my clothes today. And yeah. like that, that like provides like rage and a lack of control of my body because of my own trauma. And I, and a lot of people will be like, love yourself, Lacey. Yeah, I'm not. Just uh... love yourself or that I'm fat phobic. And I don't know, maybe I need to like deprogram that a little because I'm externally, I love fat. I'm fine with fat. Fat is great. Internally, it's just me working through some exactly. of that trauma that's still in my body. Yeah. 
But another thing about manifesting is I think there's stages of it when you're internally manifesting something. And I think for me, at a certain point when you manifest, silence is your tool. Um, so I say all my fears out loud, but inside, or hmm, how am I trying to say this? I don't, when I'm really working through something that I don't know if it's going to come to fruition yet, I don't tell anyone. That's uh, another great point. Yeah. Uh, I did want to real quick, so it didn't sound like I was uh, shaming your experience. It's interesting to see this reflection because this is something, I would say probably most of my life up until very recently was dominated by uh, issues with my own body. And they've only changed because now it's about my aging face. You know what I mean? It was about my weight and stuff for a long time. And, uh, and then people would be like, you're hot. And I'm like, no, I'm not like, no, I'm not, you know, but I, I, I transmuted something. I learned a lot, you know, um, there was like a very, a journey of self love that I, I made through that experience with my body that I'm like grateful that I had that, you know, I lost my teeth in my twenties. I, I had my first kid and had covered in stretch marks by 17. You know, I've had an interesting and then, a, and then very overweight for most of my life. And that has only recently shifted. And, uh, and it's, and it's interesting because I had a million people sit in front of me and say like, you're beautiful. Everyone would love you. And I remember it just being, it just wasn't time for that to resonate. Yeah. And it just always puts such a fuck you in my body. Whenever anyone says it, I'm just like, fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because it's like, I do love myself and I've survived this long by loving myself. Me feeling fat isn't a lack of love for myself. It's that I feel fat on myself. Yeah. And I feel a lack of control over my own body. And that, that, I mean, I know it's sexual trauma. I know it's programming yeah. from being sexually abused. Um, but I can logically know that. That doesn't mean everything's hacked in my yep. body right now. Um, but yeah. And I don't, and honestly, it's my protection too. I can kind of like how when I'm manifesting, I say all the bad things that could happen with it. I kind of like being like, I'm fat, you know? Yeah. I have poems about being fat and it, the, what it does to the audience when I get up and be like, I'm fat and ugly. For some reason, we're not allowed to say that about ourselves. Uh, it's interesting because I have a, a story that I'm working out. And last night I talked about all this childhood trauma and all this crazy shit. And then I try to tell the story of what it was like to be married to someone who hated that I was fat and, uh, and the room tenses up, but this was a huge part. This was a huge part of my life. And so then I reckon I have to explain like this right here is because I'm allergic to every food and can't eat anymore. But you know, I was many I was fat I just was fat I don't you know and like I I, uh, I feel like girls it was even- my experience you know what I mean I was 250 pounds and uh and I was I had a lot of negative life experiences as a result of that I'm grateful for all of it but I've I've fought this this 
I've had this monkey on my back my entire life. It's been a part of my journey and uh, I'm not judging anyone else's journey because same thing. I can look at somebody else in the same thing and be like, you're beautiful. I didn't do that for myself. It didn't feel that way for myself, you know? Totally. And uh, people won't let you talk about it. I know. It's so weird. I feel like women aren't allowed to say the fat word for like my whole like adolescence and growing up. You couldn't even say in a group of people like the fat world word unless you were like a mean girl calling someone fat and now I feel like you can say fat if you're super body positive about yourself yeah but you can't say publicly I'm fat and I don't like it I'm fat and I'm struggling with it I feel ugly today without a million people like trying to cut you off and like explain you're not and it's like okay but I am Yeah. yeah I had a problem with the way that people treated Amy Schumer when she made that body, uh, that that movie, because yeah. everyone's like, you're not fat enough to to do. It. Like on one side, it was like she's classically hot. No, she's not. She was at one point, but she gets called a fat pig all day long on the internet, you know. And so she, her experience is is that she feels, you know, this way. She's trying to make a statement. I'm not like this isn't a blanket endorsement of everything Amy Schumer's ever done, but like I thought her that's her experience. And to, to pretend that she isn't, you know, let's be realistic about what the beauty standards actually are, especially for anybody, you know, over the age of 25 raised, like I was raised in the nineties. I never saw anything but airbrush bodies. So I, I was having the experience. I had body dysmorphia for sure, but then I was genuinely tie my shoes on the side because I can't bend over fat for a lot of my life. And, uh, I feel the exact same way. It was like one experience that I wasn't allowed to, um, yeah, I feel like similar to that. I'm not allowed to say I don't feel loved in life. Like I was removed from my parents being an adult who's had to cut a lot of ties for my family. I don't, I don't have anywhere to go on Christmases. There's been Christmases where I'm completely alone and, you know, birthdays that I'm completely alone. And I found through performance art, a lot that comes up is me saying I'm alone. And everyone wants to flock to me and be like, I love you. You're not alone. End of sentence. End of their existence in my life. But people just, they don't want me to say that out loud. And I think it's probably triggering stuff for them. Um, But for me, just like when I'm trying to manifest something, I say all my fears about it first. I have to own that I'm alone. Like if I hide from that darkness in my life, I'm going to get a white picket fence and a husband I don't love to try to mask this alone feeling and still be alone. When I live in a, alone in an apartment in Denver that I'm paying for and own that I'm alone, it feels much more empowering to me. I think it's very interesting, this relationship with uh, our truth and our darkness makes manifestation easier right because i think the masks don't travel well no um i love this i love this conversation this was way i thought this was going to be a lot more woo and a (laughs) lot less emotional but uh i think we're in like a pisces uh maybe we came out of it but we're in scorpio and it's a fucking mess and i've been like on the scorpio is dark i feel like i keep going to this dark yeah i know i could go darker Yeah, this would also be a four-hour podcast if Aaron wasn't about to get here and we didn't have a... My fucking clock is so fucked up right now, I cannot believe it's four o'clock. We're definitely going to have to do this again because I want to... I could talk to you all day. 
Ditto. Um, I'm going to heavily edit this episode just so you know. There, uh, <laughs> so the government won't come after yeah, you. Yeah, so the government won't. Um, do you want people to find you? Ordinarily, I would say, where do people find you? But um, um, I'm a marketer who's never marketed herself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I really want to move into that of people finding me. I'm going to, I'm starting to build my own website now Okay. and own my energy readings. And I do like Yoni steams because I lo- like we were saying, a lot of our stuff gets held in our body. And I think we're moving in a huge time of infertility and I struggle with my own infertility. So I do a lot of energy work around that for myself, for other people. But right now I only have an Instagram and it's Lacey, L-A-C-E-Y is free. I love that. I've said, I love that 300 times on this, uh, podcast so speaking of which the imagination project website is currently being worked on thank you for everyone who volunteered uh someone is already working on it it is going to have a form that you can fill out to get your stuff put on it which is going to be a lot easier because i am not 3d functioning very well so everyone sent me their emails and i'm like yeah you're gonna have to send that back uh for those of you that don't know what that's about we're trying to put together a network where all the healers and whatever your trade is, if your trade can be practiced across state lines, especially psychologists, therapists, uh, uh, any of you in the mental health profession that are awake and are willing to do Skype and that is legal. I am making big assumptions here, uh, a place for everyone kind of on the same wavelength to connect to one another, energy healers and stuff so that you have this 5d community that is connecting through this podcast and other, uh, things. Um, and so that we can also help financially help each other and then, uh, continue to collaborate from there. I think there's going to be a lot more collaboration in, um, in 2020, I almost said 60, same difference. Anyway, someone's working on building that website. And then as soon as that is up, those of you that sent emails are probably going to have to send uh, more stuff so that uh, we can get that put together. If you, uh, and then you'll be able to find uh, Lacey there as well. Cause um, yeah, we need, we need a little bit of everything right now. If you want a reading, jessery.com. I'm trying to get like Skype readings and stuff up, but goddamn, time is hard. And comedy shows coming up, New York City in December. I think that's pretty much it. I got some LA stuff. And then I'm going to be touring pretty hard in 2020, I think, getting ready for this special. Uh, Jessa Reed Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. Follow this podcast for no reason on Twitter and Instagram at Soberish Pod. And we will see you uh, next week sometime, probably late. Wow.